0: Let's open our Bibles together at this time too. The book of Acts, chapter 16 and verse 25. <coughs> Acts 16:25 for our message from the word of God this morning. Acts 16:25 is located on page 1172, if you need a little help finding Acts 16.25, and if you're using the Church Bible. Today's date is January 8th, 2023. Today's text will be in Acts 16.25 through verse 32. And the title of this morning's message is What to Do If You're Wrongfully Imprisoned. What to do if you're wrongfully imprisoned. And we begin with the story of a bus full of prisoners who were being transferred from one prison to another one one day, when suddenly, the bus crashed into a cement mixer. And all of that concrete came spilling out. And after it happened, the the police began advising citizens to... Be on the lookout for a group of hardened criminals. <laughs> criminals. <Yeah. clears throat> Wait, there's more. <laughs> then there's the story of a of a man who was driving past a prison one day. and he saw a midget prisoner escaping by rappelling down the prison wall. And he thought to himself, now that's a little condescending. (laughs) Condescending. (laughs) Yes. Well, speaking of prisons and prisoners... Here in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul and his co-worker Silas have been wrongfully imprisoned on some trumped-up charges. So, let's see how they handled being wrongfully imprisoned. The story begins in verse 25 where we read these words. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, as you can see, the first thing they did after being wrongfully in prison is The same thing that I am sure you would do. They prayed. And while we're not told what they prayed for, I'm pretty sure that they prayed what you'd pray. To get out of prison so they could get on with their lives and continue with their ministry for the Lord. And over the years, those other prisoners had heard plenty of men praying and asking their gods to get out of prison. But I think that the reason that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, I think the reason Luke bothers to tell us that the prisoners heard their prayers that day is because Paul and Silas were praying for some things that those other prisoners had never heard anybody pray. Things that had a powerful effect on them, as we're going to see in a minute. And the reason I think that is because by this time, folks, the book of Matthew had already been written. And it was already being circulated. God didn't bother to write a book without getting it out there. (laughs) That means the Apostle Paul knew what the Lord wrote in Matthew 5.44. Your first cross-reference. The Lord said, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And we know that that's not just Good advice for those Jews that the Lord was talking to there, because our Apostle Paul repeats that same thought in Romans twelve fourteen, where he says, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. So I think Paul and Silas were also praying for the rulers who jailed them, and for the, the, the soldiers who beat them, and even for the jailer who was guarding them. And I don't know about you, but anytime I find myself thinking about somebody who is giving me any kind of grief in life, <laughs> and I hear myself,
1: grumbling
0: about them in my mind, I I catch myself. And I pray for them instead. And I think if you'll start doing that too, I think you're going to find that it will have a powerful effect on you. The kind of effect God wants it to have. And when it says that Paul and Silas also saying praises to God, well, that that was something else those other prisoners had never heard before. All they'd ever heard was men cursing their gods for letting them get thrown into prison. So those other prisoners knew that the God of these new prisoners was unlike any other God that they'd ever heard of. And you know what? If you can learn to quit grumbling and complaining when bad things happen to you, maybe people will think that about your God too. Isn't that what you want them to think about your God? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but when God's people would, would sing in those days, oftentimes they sang the Psalms, as you can see in your next reference. In First Chronicles 16.9, says, uh, sing unto him, sing songs unto him. You see it again when the psalmist says in Psalm 98.5, Sing unto the Lord with the harp and with the voice of a psalm. It's even a New Testament thing. Look at James 5.13. James says, Is any among you afflicted? Well, let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Now, let me ask you, is what James said there, is that what Paul and Silas were doing? I mean, sure, they prayed when uh, they were afflicted, but if now they're singing, doesn't that mean they were merry? You say, well, how'd they get so merry? (laughs) It's not like it was Christmas or anything. Well, I think they were merry because they prayed to the Lord and gave their problem to the Lord. And once they did that, they were merrier than any Christmas could ever make them. And that's what you all do, right? Don't you pray and give your problems to the Lord and then merrily start singing God's praises? If you don't. If you're like a lot of people I counsel with, if instead you, you pray and tell you the Lord of all about your problems, and then you just continue to worry about your problems... If that's you, you're probably wondering about Paul and Silas. What's their secret? Well, don't forget what Ray read to us in the scripture reading this morning. The Apostle Paul had seen a vision telling him to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. That means when they got to Macedonia, they knew they were where God wanted them to be, doing what God wanted them to do. And that's how they could be merry in spite of whatever happened to them in life. Now, God doesn't give us visions to tell us where to go and what to do. We've talked about how he expects you as an adult son to examine your life to determine where God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. And if you're not doing that, if instead you're someplace in life where you're doing what God doesn't want you to do, then it's not God's fault that you're not Mary, is it? If you're not where God wants you to be in life this morning, why not consider making some changes in your life? And by the way, I'm not trying to say that all we should ever sing are psalms. Some people think that, but in Ephesians 5:19, the apostle our apostle talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can sing those too. I looked it up and there's a guy on the internet or a website anyway that's talking about how they're trying to set all 150 psalms to music. A lot of them already are. But we don't have to wait for that guy to finish setting all the psalms to music. There's nothing wrong with singing hymns and spiritual songs. But... If Paul and Silas did sing a psalm, I bet I know which one they sang. (laughs) Look at Psalm 142, verses 1 to 7. The psalmist said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble." When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. He knew Paul's path because he told him where to go. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they're stronger than I, and bring my soul out of prison. Hey, if you if you know the story here in Acts 16, you know that when Ray read to us about how the jailer thrust Paul and Silas into the inner prison, that that's what we would call a dungeon in our day, like they threw Jeremiah in. In other words, an underground prison. Well... Would Paul be brought very low, like the psalm says there, if they did that? Well, can't prove it, but if I were Paul, I think that might be the psalm that I'd be singing. And I, I mention that conjecture because if you'll study the psalms, I think you'll find that the reason that your apostle tells you and I, as members of the body of Christ, to, to be singing the psalms is because a lot of those psalms relate to what you're going through in life in some way, shape, or form. Over the years, some of you have told me that you already find that to be the case. Well, God didn't take very long to answer their prayer, did he? As we read on in verse 26, it says, And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the very foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's bands, their chains, or whatever they were being held with, were loosed. (laughs) Now, that's what our the United States military would call a surgical strike. you ever hear that phrase? You know what they mean by that? These days, rather than dropping an atomic bomb on a, on, a, on a whole city and killing hundreds of thousands of civilians just to destroy a stronghold of terrorists in the city, they can send cruise missiles or whatever newer missiles they have since I paid any attention, and and, and destroy those strongholds without killing any of the civilians. And that's what God did here. Because I don't have to tell you, earthquakes can kill people too. But all this earthquake did was open all the prison doors and loosen the chains and the stocks off of the arms and legs of the prisoners. Now that's what I call a surgical strike. But it is not uh, something that God is going to send to deliver you if you're wrongfully imprisoned, like Paul and Silas were. There's been a dispensational change since that time. And now God sends his people and not earthquakes to do his will. But we know that these days his people aren't always going to be able to get you out of prison by petitioning the government or whatever other legal means they can That's not always going to happen. And the way you know that is because after the transition period was finished here in the book of Acts, they couldn't get Paul out of prison, could they? Can't trust history, but history says he was executed in prison. And you might be too, even if you're wrongfully imprisoned. But you know what? God can use... That too. As we'll see in next week's message. That's the commercial. Now you have to come next week to see how God can use it if you're wrongfully executed. (laughs) But for now, we see that this strike might have been surgical, but it wasn't quiet, (laughs) it was noisy. Because it says in verse 27. And the keeper of the prison was awakened out of his sleep and seeing the doors open he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Now we talked about this back when we studied Acts chapter 12. The the reason the jailer was about to off himself when he thought the prisoners had vamoosed is because the Roman guards in those days were responsible for their prisoners with their lives. and We saw that in Acts 12 in verse 19 when God broke Peter out of jail. And verse 19 says, when Herod had sought for him, he said, where's Peter? Bring him. They found him not. So he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And if you know your New Testament, you know that word examine there. That doesn't mean that Herod put them under a bright light and gave them the third degree like they used to do in those cop shows. Look what it says about that word examine in Luke 23, 13 and 14. Pilate when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, he said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man. And you know how they bloodied and tortured the Lord before they crucified him. So you know why the jailer wanted to, to pass on having to take that exam. He wanted to fall on his sword and commit Harry Carey. And I'm not talking about the White Sox announcer. He was a Sox announcer long before he was a Cubs announcer. But listen... The Apostle Paul was not about to let that man take his life because he knew it wasn't his fault that God sent an earthquake and opened the prison doors and released everybody's bands. So in the next verse in our text, in verse 28, it says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I smiled when I read that because when it says he cried with a loud voice I gotta tell you, if I saw a man who had just clapped my legs in the stocks if I saw a guy like that about to well let's say impersonate a shish kebab and fall a sword I think I'd have cried with a soft voice hey stop don't hurt yourself but do you know what God says about a, a vengeful spirit like that look at Proverbs 24, 24 11, and twenty. if thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain if, if thou sayest behold we do it not Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know that you're standing by and doing nothing? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? God Almighty says he's going to come after you if you can save a life and you stand by and do nothing about it. But now, I don't think Paul was motivated by verses like that in this case here, do you? I don't think that because he knew we're under grace. And he knew God wouldn't render to him according to his works. But if that's so, and it is, why did Paul stop this guy? Well, I think he had a different motivation. I think it was because he knew the guy wasn't saved. I think when the guy was clapping Paul's feet in the stocks, that Paul did what he did to all his guards. He witnessed to the guy. Started telling him about how to be saved from his sins. But if, when that happened, the, you know, the jailer said, And rejected his testimony. So here Paul knew he had to stop that guy from killing himself. To save his eternal soul from eternal hell. So if you're ever tempted to let somebody who's. Uh, wronged you in any way, if you're tempted to let him suffer some kind of punishment because of that, why not do what Paul says to do instead of just standing by and doing nothing? First Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that thou render evil for evil to any man, but ever follow that which is good among yourselves and to all men. I mean, when every fiber of your being calls for vengeance for anything that somebody did to you, why not do what Paul says to do instead? And, if you ever find yourself thinking of doing yourself in just because you know you're saved, I want you to remember that God might need you someday to lead somebody else to the Lord. Tell them how to be saved. Don't you want to be here for that? But now, Paul knows that this jailer is probably not going to sheath his sword just because a prisoner's telling him to. So at the end of verse 28 there, he says, We're all here. None of us flew the coop. Rome's not going to be coming after you. And that begs the question of why all those hardened criminals? (laughs) Why they stuck around? Why didn't they just take a hike after the quake set them free? Right? Paul stayed to save the jailer. But how come the jailer didn't have to go chasing after all those other dudes? Why'd they stay? Well, after they heard Paul and Silas pray for those crooked rulers who sentenced them to prison, and after they heard Paul and Silas pray for the thugs who beat them, and the jailer who jailed them, they figured any God that could make his people pray like that must be the true God. And they knew that the true God sent that earthquake to free Paul and Silas, not to free them. (laughs) Because Paul and Silas, they figured, were probably innocent, and they knew they weren't. They knew they were guilty. So they just stood there with their chains on the floor and the prison doors wide open, thinking... If criminals like us walk out that door, God is going to strike us dead. That's what I think. Now we know all this was happening in total darkness because of what it says in the next verse in our text in verse twenty nine then paul then the jailer called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, when it says that he he sprang in there, that word means to jump, to leap. And that's how we know that the inner prison was a dungeon. He had to jump down in there. But when it says he was trembling before Paul, you got to ask, well, why would he be afraid of the guy who just saved his life? by saying, don't don't do yourself any harm, why would he come trembling before Paul? Well, after Paul told the guy about the true God while he was locking him in the stocks, and then Paul's God sends this, this earthquake to spring him, the jailer probably figured that God was probably not too pleased with him for throwing him in the jail in the first place. And then he started thinking, I bet God's next strike is not going to be as surgical. And he was he was afraid he was about to die. That's why he's trembling before the apostle Paul. Cuz he knew he couldn't die. Cuz he knew he wasn't saved. He didn't have the salvation that Paul was talking to him about a little short time earlier. And you know that because in verse 30, it says that he brought Paul and Silas out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, notice it says he had to bring Paul and Silas out of that dungeon. (laughs) Now let me ask you, If you were Paul and God just staged an earthquake to break you out of jail and the prison doors are wide open, would you wait for the jailer to come and escort you out before leaving? Well, how come Paul did? Well, how many of you heard that old saying, the boss isn't always right, but he's what? The boss isn't always right, but he's always the boss. (laughs) And it wasn't right for the Roman government to imprison Paul. But they were still the government. And Paul, if they put Paul in jail, he wasn't about to disobey them by leaving, even if there were no bars in the way. That's the respect he had for law and order. You see, he understood what most Christians don't, that God expects us to obey the government even when they're wrong. Unless they tell you to do something wrong. Amen? So, if the jailer hadn't brought Paul out, I think he would have remained a guest of the house until the jailer did show up and bring him out. He was the authority figure. Now, some people think that what the jailer was asking, Paul, is how to be saved from the Roman government. But that can't be, because he already knows the prisoners haven't escaped. He knows that Rome's got no beef with him. No, folks, he was remembering what Paul said when he witnessed to him. And now he wants to know how to be saved from his sins and from the consequences of his sins in eternal hellfire. And as we know here in this church, that's a question that has to be answered dispensationally. Because the Bible gives different answers to what must I do to be saved. Even in the New Testament. Matthew nineteen sixteen to 19 says, One came and said to the Lord, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Keep the commandments. Uh, and he said, well, which commandments? And Jesus said, you know the commandments, do no murder, no, don't commit adultery or steal or bear false witness, honor your father. What? Is that what you tell people when they ask you how to be saved? Now not what I tell people when they email me at Brin Bible Society? I can tell you that. That's what the Lord told him. It's what the Lord told him, because throughout the Old Testament, that's how men were saved. They had to keep the commandments and bring a sacrifice to God when they broke one of the commandments. But what's it say in Luke 16, 16, verse 16? The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. The Lord Jesus Christ added the kingdom program to the law. And what did men have to do to be saved under the kingdom gospel? Well, we find out when that same guy told the Lord, well, I've kept all the commandments. What did the Lord tell him in Matthew 19, 21? Well, then go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. Well, that's what they did at Pentecost to get saved, did not it? Ananias and Sapphira showed they weren't saved when they didn't do that. But now, at Pentecost, they also did something else to get saved, didn't they? Look what happened when Peter finished preaching to them in Acts 2.37-38. When they heard what Peter said, they were pricked in their heart, just like the jailer. So they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brother, what do we do? to be saved, just like the jailer. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So there's different answers to the question of what must I do to be saved, but none of those answers is the one Paul gave in the next verse of our text, is it? In verse 31, Paul and Silas said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, come by the riverside next Sabbath day, and that's where we meet for church, and you'll hear how to get saved then. He didn't say that. He struck while the iron was hot, as the saying goes. And I do too. I I keep an eye on DBS's emails nights and weekends. I have access. I can access that from home. And I do it. Because we often get emails from people saying, What must I do to be saved? How can I be sure I'm saved? Tell me about how I can know for sure I'm going to heaven. And listen, I answer those right away. A lot of times, I always see whatever comes in, and sometimes I have to put it off because I'm busy preparing messages for you. But not those. Those I answer right away. And, and you can answer that question, too. The gospel is not all that hard to tell, folks. Some Christians, I know some Christians, are they're afraid to tell people Christ, about Christ because they're afraid they'll get asked some kind of Bible question that they can't answer. You know what, if that happens, then you can bring them to church. <laughs> or, or email me or one of the elders. We'll help you with that. But now, I, I have to say there's there's grace believers who don't think that we should quote this verse when someone asks how to be saved. And the reason is that, that because it, when Paul says they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't like that because it's different than what Paul talked about in Romans 3:26 when he when he talked about him which believeth is that next word on or in in, in. so here in Acts 16:31 when Paul uses the word on believe on the lord instead so, some grace believers think that during this this transition period of the book of acts that Somehow Paul wasn't preaching the purity of the gospel of grace in all of its clarity during this transition period. If you've ever been to Northern Grace Youth Camp, you know this verse is on the sign on the road in front of the camp. And the camp director, Dave Green, has told me in the past that he has heard from grace believers who tell him that he should have some other verse on the sign in front of the camp. But folks, we know that believing on the Lord and in the Lord are the same because of what John says in John 3 and verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on, no in, The name of the only begotten son of... Do you see how the terms are used interchangeably there? Hey folks, the book of Romans is written during the transition period, so you could argue you shouldn't use the word in either. Right? By the way, that that John 3.18 verse there, that also shows why men need to be saved. Men need to be saved because that verse says they're born condemned. They're condemned already. Condemned by God for their sins. Now I know that goes contrary to what most people think. Most people think that we're all born good. And, and, and hang for heaven when we die. And, and we got to do a lot of bad things to, to blow it and end up going to hell. That verse says we're born condemned to hell. And we have to get saved to go to heaven. And Paul says here in Acts 16, 31, the way to get saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of verse 31, don't don't get the wrong idea when Paul adds, uh, and thy house. Uh, Paul wasn't telling him that, that he could believe for his family there's no such thing as what they call salvation by proxy you can't believe the gospel for anybody else Paul was saying that if the members of your household believe they can be saved too and we'll see more proof of that later and, and next week as well but another reason that grace believers don't like Acts sixteen thirty one is because it doesn't mention Christ's death on the cross for our sins. But I am sure that Paul did mention it to the jailer because the last verse of our text, verse 32, goes on to say that after they said to the jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house." That's where Paul got into the specifics of what they had to believe about the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. The specifics that are found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, where Paul told the Corinthians, I declare unto you the gospel which you have received, by which gospel also you are saved. How that Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again. May I say unto you, if that's what you believe this morning, then God's word says you're as saved as the Corinthians. Right? And you know that God didn't mean we're, we're saved by Christ's death and burial and resurrection, plus we have to be good. Because the Corinthians weren't very good, right? We're saved by the blood of Christ alone. We're saved by our faith in the blood of Christ alone. And once again, don't overlook when the end of verse 32 there says that they that they preached the word of the Lord to all that were in his house. As more proof that he couldn't believe for the members of his house. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not saved or you're watching our video or listening to our recording, do you remember back up in verse 26 when it says that the earthquake caused the foundations of the prison to shake? Can I ask you, what's your foundation in life? What's your rock? What's the thing that keeps you stable when bad things like false imprisonment happen to you? The spiritual foundation of Paul and Silas was not shaken when they were falsely accused and imprisoned. Could your spiritual foundation withstand a shaking like that? Maybe it could. But would your foundation enable you to sing God's praises in the face of stuff like that? You know, it sounds almost perverse to say that the prison itself had become the prisoner's foundation. But they had come to to trust in those massive walls. Oh, sure, the walls were keeping them locked up. But they also represented the massive power of the Roman Empire protecting them from all the other cutthroats out there that were worse than them. And from any riots and civil unrest that might go on out there. Their foundation in life seemed rock solid and secure. They didn't think anything could shake it. And suddenly it was gone. Suddenly their security vanished. Not even the massive power of Rome could protect them from an earthquake. And there might be things coming in your life. There will be things coming in your life if you live long enough that will rock your world. Things that no foundation on the planet could withstand. If your foundation is found in anything else than Jesus Christ, you're going to end up in a heap on the floor. You need a new foundation. If you're trusting in something else. Maybe you're like the jailer in some recent earthquake in your life. It's got you thinking of ending it all. If so, you know what? Somebody like Paul might not always be around to give you the gospel at the last minute. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now for it's eternally too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's our privilege to be your ambassadors with the life-giving message of Christ died for our sins. What a simple message. And that's good, because a lot of your people... We are very simple people. We pray, Father, we might be faithful ambassadors in giving that message. May we be Pauline in this sense of the word as well. We pray it in the Savior's name. Amen.